I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. disease research may focus on individual diseases that affect small patient populations, but often the information gleaned from this work can provide insights into far more common diseases. We spoke to Paul Schindler, Executive Director and CEO of the Rare Genomics Institute, about the broader benefits of rare disease research, why it can elucidate our understanding of common diseases, and the case of why this work should matter to everyone. Paul, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be here, uh, Danny, and an opportunity to talk to your listeners as well. Well, Many people think of rare disease research as being just that rare. As as a result, the investment in rare disease research is often viewed as something with very limited benefits since in the case of any single rare disease, there are relatively few people who suffer from it. We're going to talk about the case for rare disease research and why the benefits extend beyond the specific disease being investigated. But I thought before we could do that, we could talk a little bit about the Rare Genomics Institute, which our listeners may not be familiar with. Can you explain what the Rare Genomics Institute is and its mission? Yeah, I'd I'd love to. Uh, So I came on board uh, with the Rare Genomics Institute last year. I'm the uh, executive director, CEO. And uh, we were founded in 2011 by Dr. Jimmy Lin. Uh, with really the existence to empower rare disease patients uh, for today and accelerate uh, their potential cures uh, of tomorrow. Uh, We're an international nonprofit with uh, eight global sites um, because we really consider rare disease uh, as it is. It knows no bounds. So uh, we work globally as well as uh, domestically here in the United States. The key for what we do is really hope. Uh, It's really wrapped up in that one word. Uh, we're a 96% volunteer-run uh, organization uh, that does all that it can to bring that hope uh, and really walk alongside those that are suffering and fighting their unknown or rare diseases. Uh, we do this through free services that we provide them. Uh, we provide them research. Uh, we provide them support, um, and not only for the patients that's affected directly, but also their families. Our primary goal is to get them sequenced, and we'll do what's called a tri-whole exome sequencing, uh, really because from there we feel like that's the best way to determine how we can help them. Uh, Once we get them sequenced, we can then direct them to any ongoing researchers that we know of, uh, clinical trials, and even connect them to potential quality of life, uh, supporting organizations that can uh, give them some of the direct help that they might need. And actually, I know many people have problems affording the cost of sequencing and the uh, many insurance companies don't cover this, but you actually have a crowdfunding platform to help people pay for this? Yeah, so when we started this, obviously uh, paying for genetic sequencing, genomic sequencing was not uh, feasible. It was very expensive. Uh, It was not covered at all by insurance. And uh, the the costs were really really difficult for people to pay for out of pocket. So uh, the lack of support uh, even today uh, makes it difficult for people to pay for. Uh, average cost for what we do as a medical sequence 
is right around $7,500. We saw that price drop last year uh, with some of our uh, partnering organizations, so we're excited to see that. But yeah, it, it, it's expensive, so we provided uh, crowdfunding as an option for uh, people that are coming to us to be able to raise the funds through friends and family over the internet. As a matter of fact, we're responsible for the first gene discovery, variant gene discovery, that was uh, funded by crowdfunding, and uh, so pretty, pretty neat, innovative way to get around that big hurdle. So you were talking about the two other approaches that you have. Yeah. So we we also offer uh, expert analysis of that sequencing. Uh, we do that in-house. Uh, we don't offer medical advice to patients, but we do try to surround them with as much passionate support, uh, compassionate support, uh, and harnessing whatever uh, latest innovations like crowdfunding or crowdsourcing to best bridge uh, that benefit-cure-treatment gap that exists for them. Um, we, so we kind of do a personal, almost DIY disease research project for them. Um, and then the second thing that we do is we can empower those patients through the use of our online social sharing site called rareshare.org, uh, centered around really breaking down that informational barrier uh, in the disease area. Um, and then we have a scientific competition called Be Heard that brings together the best invented minds all over the globe that want to tackle some of the world's toughest medical problems in the genomic level. Uh, so that's been sponsored uh, by over 25 biotech firms with the goal of really kickstarting research from really the grassroots level around these diseases that are uh, either not served at all or completely underserved. Uh, today, we've been able to raise over $1.1 million towards rare disease research through these competitions. And, and when patients get uh, their genetic analysis performed, do you do anything with that genetic data to work with researchers to use that to advance disease research? Yeah, we, we do our best to connect the dots, basically. So we keep the, the patient in control of their own data, uh, and uh, we'll take that, and we, we act as almost a consultant in a way to be able to uh, hopefully interpret that information for them. I mean, it's really the schematic of the human body, right? We don't even understand what the schematic fully means. So uh, <laughs> our teams, our scientists uh, are doing their best to uh, find the unknown. Uh, the way I like to describe it is it's not finding a needle in a haystack, it's trying to find a specific piece of hay in a haystack. And it's, it's, it's very, very uh, challenging task. These people are brilliant in what they do, and uh, and they've been able to uncover some uh, very unique things. As a matter of fact, our organization has been responsible for uncovering eight unique genetic mutations since our inception. So, um, you know, we're just trying to do our part here. Well, let's talk about the impact of rare disease research. When we talk about rare diseases, how big a universe are we talking about? What constitutes rare disease? How many of these diseases are there? And how many people suffer from them? Yeah, that's uh, that's a big thing. I, when I talk to people, uh, they they often their jaw will drop when I tell them that in America alone it affects uh, estimated one in ten uh, uh, Americans, so thirty million people. And to try to put that in perspective, um, if you grabbed the top ten largest populated cities in the United States, New York, Los Angeles, Houston, Chicago, Washington D.C., put them all together, you would still have more people suffering from rare disease and all those people combined living together. Uh, but it's not just domestically. So they estimate there's 30 million, 30 million people that suffer uh, in Europe alone uh, uh, when it comes to rare diseases. And then when it comes to global 
uh, numbers, they estimate there's about 350 million people. Uh, so if you put all those people together in a single country, it'd be the third largest country in the world. So it's a, it's a much larger problem than people uh, really are aware of. Well, biomedical research funding in the United States has long been under pressure. There was some good news in the current budget for the National Institutes of Health, a $2 billion boost. But since 2003, the budget has failed to keep pace with biomedical inflation. Has, how, how has rare disease research fared? Well, we've been encouraged to see uh, that rare disease research is consistently increasing. Uh, a lot of pharmaceutical companies are looking as uh, rare disease is becoming more of a hot topic uh, to look into. And uh, that's been exciting to see medicines and development growing uh, from, uh, I think there was 450 medicines in development in 2013. I think well over uh, 550 here in, in 2015. So um, the focus, any, any light, any activity, regardless of a person's motivation <laughs> or a person's perspective on the motivation around why, uh, diseases are being developed, it's, it's a good thing. So we're seeing a lot more activity there. It's, uh, from a biotech, from a pharmaceutical perspective, uh, the rare disease research is becoming a very important thing for them. Your colleague, Carla Lanth, recently wrote a commentary for Clinical Leader that speaks to the broader payoff from rare disease research. The, the case the Rare Genomics Institute makes about the value of rare disease research and the one the NIH and others have, have made about the benefits of rare disease research is that it can elucidate far more common diseases. Why is that? Well, I, I, I come, uh, just so your listeners are aware, I come from a, a business background. So my, my take on things is, uh, is uh, probably a little bit more uh, layman's in nature. So I look at this from uh, different industries that I've seen in the past. I mean, I'm actually talking to you on a cell phone right now. That technology would not have existed if uh, the United States military hadn't done research uh, to do secure communications, uh, you know, 20, 30 years back. So the, the, the cusp of research, the edge of discovery, has always benefited and affected mankind in a positive way. And we're willing to make those uh, investments. And sometimes initially they're, they're steep, they're huge, um, and I think this is the reason why our government needs to take a more active role in, um, you know, pushing diseases, providing incentives, uh, uh, pushing research around diseases, providing incentives for that because, um, you know, the, the rare can and often does affect the common. And a lot of times when researchers are doing experiments, uh, even in the areas of failures, those things can often turn into something that's uh, very significant. You don't know where the link's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen. Um, but you have to have an atmosphere and environment of experimentation and research uh, and collaboration in order for those uh, discoveries to be put together and, and then uh, affected into the lives of everyday Americans people around the world. Well, I thought we could run through a few examples of how research into rare disease shed light on a, a more common disease. I thought you could walk us through a few of those examples, starting with Neiman-Pick disease, a, a rare disease involving an enzyme deficiency, and the Ebola virus. Yeah. Um, now, when it comes to uh, the Neiman-Pick uh, disease, um, so this is a, a metabolical disorder. Um, and it really, you know, when you, you look at diseases like this, they're, they're often genetic. 
uh, in uh, nature. And uh, when we see this uh, disease showing up in people, um, there's no specific treatment for it. Uh, but as they did research around this, they found that it had um, there were there were some clinical connections to uh, the actual um, research for the Ebola virus and finding how the Ebola virus affected the the human cells. So it was it was beneficial to the um, the, the the populace to be able to uh, connect those two. There's also Fanconi anemia, a rare genetic disease linked to a list of genetic mutations in cancer. Yeah, so um, cancer is the big component here when it comes to doing research around um, genetic diseases. And this is probably the entry gate when it comes to genetic diseases. Um, we've got uh, cancer is one of the biggest effectors of uh, people when it comes to awareness. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are affected by it. And when we deal with how are we going to best insert uh, research and development for diseases. Cancer is a really easy one to, to say we're going to put in efforts there. So anytime we can find uh, a connection like we did uh, with Fanconia anemia uh, and the genetic disease uh, link there to cancer, it's always going to boost rare disease research. And then there's Lerone syndrome, a growth hormone receptor deficiency, and aging cancer and diabetes. Yeah, and so this one I'm not too familiar with, to be honest with you. Um, I do know that there are some rare forms of diabetic uh, conditions, and uh, Lerone syndrome uh, was a situation where, um, you know, the receptors within the individual uh, was causing a deficiency in um, certain systems being developed within the human body. And, uh, and then what they did discover was uh, that the deficiencies were affecting uh, the way the metabolic rate was working within the human body, and they found that uh, if they could uh, work with that, it could have some effect on some of the rare uh, diabetic uh, cases that they're dealing with. Well, last, can you tell us about the link between rare familial hemiplegic migraines and common migraines? Yeah. Um, that... That particular uh, link is showed that those particular migraines that, that came up uh, within individuals, and that is a, that is a rare disorder um, as well, um, shows promise that uh, as they do research around that particular region, that they might be able to uncover uh, more uh, effective treatments uh, for migraines. Now, the, the main reason why all of these examples that you brought up um, have a really, really positive effect for doing more research and why we should, as a whole, um, do more research around this is because we're looking at it from uh, the genetic basis. We're looking at how the body is dealing with ongoing um, deficiencies, mutations. Um, this is not something that is set in stone. The body reacts, it develops, it grows. Uh, the effect of the proteins going through the body and change the way the body is adapting. So the more that we can uh, look at the basis of these from a genetic, uh, you know, uh, starting line, the better we'll find um, more effective cures around common migraines uh, that are out there. So when you look at uh, familia hemiplegic migraines, 
and you find the genetic basis of that, you're going to have a much stronger uh, approach from a scientific perspective to be able to effectively match a medicine uh, to uh, deal with the the basis of the actual migraine uh, itself. So they can see better, and I, I really see this as a whole coming in the next 10, 20 years in, in medicine as we accept the fact is that genetic sequencing, genomic sequencing, uh, is going to reduce a lot of waste in uh, medical testing. It's going to provide a much more precision uh, treatment approach for patients because the human body is different from person to person. And I think we're going to see that is a more accepted way to start uh, the diagnostic approach rather than trying to tack it on at the very end. Overall, what's the case rare disease advocates should be making about the value of rare disease research and, and who do they need to be making the case to in order to have the biggest impact? Well, you've got uh, some fantastic organizations out there that have made a lot of strides over the years, Nord being one of them uh, and Gerotis uh, in Europe being another one. Uh, you've got some organizations that we partner with, such as the Genetic Alliance, uh, the Global Genes. Uh, the NIH does a lot of research uh, around genetic disorders. And so um, these are all great places to, for a person to get connected with. Um, but when you're really dealing with rare diseases, often uh, if it's specifically an unknown disease or you're one in uh, 10 individuals on the planet that has it, you, you really can be exhausted in trying to find just simply the answer for what's wrong with me or what's wrong with my child. So getting connected to organizations like ourselves um, or other patient advocacy organizations are helpful to really boost your, your search uh, for even just a treatment and an answer to what's wrong. Uh, a lot of times families will find themselves needing to create that themselves uh, just because it is so underserved and um, not, not focused on. Uh, but I, I, I have a strong belief that you get connected with these organizations. Um, the, uh, the government, uh, you know, consistently driving that awareness. We were encouraged by what you talked about with the, the $2 billion, uh, in the latest bill. We hope it, it continues. Um, and making their case online. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of effort. Uh, on the government side, there's been a lot of effort. On the policy side, there's been a lot of a lot of new awareness in the pharmaceutical side of things. Uh, I think that uh, what probably is lacking the most right now is just the empowerment of the patient, the voice of the patient. And I think we have the tools in our society now that can really accelerate that. Uh, the use of the internet, the use of social sharing. Uh, I'd like to see organizations like uh, you know Facebook and Twitter. Uh, take on this as more of a, a necessity for better quality of life as humanity approaches, you know, the next century. I'd like to see them see that these people are completely underserved and to take the power of their companies and what they're doing to really leverage uh, additional cures because I think that's where we're at. We really need to bring together. We've seen some examples in society, the movie industry being one of them, how uh, maybe a movie wouldn't really go to market well unless it was promoted from a grassroots culture perspective. And I think you see a lot of that uh, within the rare disease communities. They're scattered, they're fragmented, they don't know where to go. And if there can be some rally points for them with organizations that are using the power of the Internet, helping them collaborate their personal medical records uh, for the use of sharing that, uh, I think you'll see a lot of changes over the years.
Paul Schindler, Executive Director and CEO of the Rare Genomics Institute. Paul, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.